Blog Talk Radio. of our Wednesday night on the Fight Network Sports Conversation. We talk about what's happening in the world of sports. Excuse me, I'm Don Henderson, and I welcome you to the show. Our normal guests are on hand, plus a few others. We're going to have Roy Cummings and uh, 
Tampa, Florida, in just a couple of minutes. Bill Berge up in Philadelphia. Of course, we're going to have Tom LeMain at, uh, talk about the Flyers and the National Hockey League. We're going to have Mike Schulte talk about the Riella Quest Bowl and uh, who's going to play maybe, and uh, they'll have some answers to that down a little bit later next week. Mike Simsack will be on. Doug Hamilton will be on talking about golf, and Tiger's coming back this weekend in the field of 20. And so a lot of things to talk about in the world of sports. And, Roy, let's start off with college basketball a little bit different. We usually start with the National Football League. Let's start off in the, with some college ball because uh, eight of the teams have been decided as of this moment. doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be the eight teams that are going to be ranked as they are today because they've still got another weekend to go. But uh, Michigan rounded up in second spot behind Georgia. Georgia was uh, number one. Ohio State... Uh, Moves down, unbeaten Washington was third, followed by uh, unbeaten Florida State. Then we go to Oregon. They remain number five. Ohio State slipped to six after their loss. The Tigers uh, were seventh, and Alabama was eighth. Uh, Roy, do you, you, you see anything wrong with the top eight so far? No, it's hard to argue with that group. Uh, I think it's a very solid group. Uh, you know, I don't know how, mu- how much longer Florida State stays uh, where they are uh, based on the quarterback situation. I mean, they've obviously lost, uh, uh, you know, their quarterback, and uh, that's going to eventually be an issue for them, I think. But in essence, uh, you know, they, they've uh, – you know, they've earned the spot. I mean, they're undefeated, so uh, they've earned their spot. But no, I, I think it's a good, uh, I think it's a good group. Um, I think the matchups could be uh, very, very exciting, and I think we could see some surprises out of it. So uh, I'm kind of excited to see it all uh, unfold here. Roger, you're at the Wing Bowl tonight. We can hear a few people behind you and uh, your thoughts because you've been with Georgia all the way for the last couple of years, and they've been number one. So you're not too far behind. No, and I think they will continue to be number one. And uh, I'm glad that you know I'm here, Dan, because, you know, I didn't know whether you realized I was here or not. But uh, anyway, I am uh, tonight at the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings out on uh, Route 1 uh, in uh, Glen Mills. uh, Dan Baker and uh, Lou Nolan, uh, the PA announcer for the Philadelphia Flyers, uh, are being honored, and there's another uh, show going on in the next uh, room, couple of rooms. And uh, so, anyway, I had the pleasure to uh, bring Dan back or out here uh, yesterday for the press conference for the uh, Mummers Day uh, Parade and also uh, tonight on uh, the two of them being honored for each one being over 50 to years as a, P- a PA announcer. But getting back to Georgia, I think they are number one. Uh, they look good against Tech. Uh, they've looked good recently. I think they got their act together, and I think that they will uh, perform very well. Uh, hopefully, they will be. Uh, they, I, you know, they uh, they beat Alabama definitely, uh, but I think they may get in even if they lose to Alabama. But uh, I think they're prepared to go against the Crimson Tide, and we'll know uh, by the end of Saturday night. Well, it's interesting, uh, Roy, that you should bring up the fact that the quarterback situation at Florida State, uh, they've been fortunate all year and have not got a lot of people hurt and have played very, very well, surprisingly well for some. And uh, so it'll be interesting to see whether they can maintain a spot in that top four. Yeah, Will, I, I think they're really an interesting team to watch. I mean, again, without the quarterback, I, I don't think they can they can beat any of the real top teams that are left. I mean, 
you know, they're coming off a victory against Florida, which is not special uh, because Florida is not very good this year. But, you know, I just think, uh, look, you know, it, it's hard to say who's the best team this year uh, because Georgia certainly looks like they're, they are that. But you can say the same thing about Michigan, especially after the way they, they handled Ohio State. Uh, you can make an argument for Ohio State. You can make an argument, argument for Oregon. Um, I think there's a, several teams out there that uh, are capable of winning this thing this, this time around, and uh, I think it's one of the things that makes it uh, very, very interesting. Uh, I don't think there's any clear-cut favorite. Don't sleep on Alabama. I, I, you know, Roger just mentioned, let's see what Georgia does with Alabama. Obviously, they're favored. They should win the game, but... Um, if there's one thing that, uh, that you can expect out of Alabama, is you're going to get the best out of them when it matters the most, and uh, it's going to matter the most starting this weekend. So, so let's see what happens in that championship game. Let's see what uh, happens in the, you know, let's see what happens with Michigan and Iowa. Uh, there could be an upset there as well. So uh, let's see where we head with all this. Is a great weekend coming up, obviously, and uh, a lot will be sorted out there. I think. So let's go, uh, Roger, let's go over to, uh, you just mentioned about Georgia, but uh, if Alabama loses another game, it pretty much puts them down at least a three or four spots out of the top four. And uh, with, with Georgia, Georgia's in a situation where they can't afford to lose a game either to, uh, to stay in the top four. No, no, they can't. And, and that was the uh, situation with Ohio State and Michigan. Uh, you know, I think it knocked uh, Ohio State uh, out. And they keep, I'll tell you, they keep on talking about your alma mater, Don, the University of Texas, uh, being Name in there. Uh, yeah, yeah, but they talk about them making it into the top four if some of these uh, teams that are uh, quote-unquote in there lose. And, and you're right. right. I think if Georgia loses, they may get knocked out. But um, some people think, no, that won't happen, Hey. Anything can happen, but, uh, you know, the Longhorns are getting a lot of uh, publicity, a lot of uh, credit uh, about uh, being in that uh, top four. Well, they got to win this weekend to, to get into that top four. They've lost one game during the season to Oklahoma, which they shouldn't have lost to, to be honest with you, but they did. So it's going to be interesting to see those, any one of those, as Roy just said and you said, just repeating ourselves, that any one of these teams could win or lose. Michigan uh, has gone all the way without losing. So, uh, you know, they got to Ohio State and they won the biggest game of the year for them. That's the game at Michigan against Ohio State. And uh, they played a great game, I thought. Roy, I don't know whether you saw much of it or not, but they played a great game. Yeah, no, I did see it, and uh, you're absolutely right. Uh, I thought it was, uh, you know, it, 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 what it proved to me is that uh, clearly Michigan is the best team in the Big Ten, which I think is the best division or conference, rather, in uh, college football this year. So, you know, but is it, you know, is it enough? Now, look, they're going to get Harbaugh back uh, now, so uh, let's see what that does for them. And, uh, again, I just uh, it, it's very intriguing right now because, uh, any mix of those top eight uh, could be there at the end. We'll have uh, Bill Berge on with us on our next segment of the show tonight. And uh, very interesting, the Eagles got by another burn partner uh, this last weekend, which kept them at 
with only one defeat. And Dallas is playing right now as we do the show. So uh, <clears throat> I haven't had a chance to see any of the, uh, any of the game yet. But uh, Eagles are in pretty good shape right now going into the last few games of the season. And, Roy, I would assume you still think the Eagles would be number one in not only in the, their division, but also in the conference. You know, well, I do, yeah. but... No, go, go ahead, ahead, Roy. Go ahead. No, All no, right. go ahead. Yeah. I, you know, I do think the Eagles are still the best team in that division. I do still think they'll win the division. But, boy, there's an awful lot of love out there for Dallas. And and I, I, I get it. Um, but I don't know if that's, if that's just really a matter of Dallas taking advantage of the schedule where they're playing, you know, some fairly weak teams and and playing at a high level in games there, or if they really are capable of beating a team as good as the Eagles. I, we're going to have to wait and see and and see what happens, but I still think the Eagles are the best, and and, and I think they continue to prove that uh, when they're up against it. And you know, they have some tough games. I mean, look, Buffalo is a tough matchup. Um, the game, you know, uh, and and. Philadelphia handled it extremely well. I think Philadelphia is getting better, and uh, they overcame some adversity at the end, uh, you know, with the penalties and things, but um, they managed, and uh, that's what it's all about. You know, nobody really asks you how. They just ask you, you know, how many did you win, and right now the Eagles are, uh, are leading the way there for sure. Roger, you're exactly right there. Uh, uh, as Roy just said, they, they have a, met a lot of controversy along the way this season, especially in the fourth quarter, and they've been able to uh, overcome all of it except one game. So you got to figure the Eagles are in the best shape to uh, you know go on and, and win the division. We'll wait and see as it goes along. A lot of it will depend on what happens with Dallas. Uh, the Monday night game uh, the other the other night. Uh, was a close game again going into the fourth quarter. Roger, you're in Philadelphia, and Bergie's going to be on with us a little bit. Uh, what do you think of Monday night's game? Well, I thought it was a, uh, a tremendous game. And uh, i got to tell you, they they win, and they find a way to win. And, and I can't stand all this publicity in the uh, about the Cowboys. They haven't beaten a team that has a winning record. I mean, wh- what does that tell you? And and uh, I think this game that the Eagles have on Sunday against uh, San Francisco will tell a lot. But I'm with you, Roy. I think they're uh, getting better, and I, I think it, this will be a real test because people are giving the uh, uh, the uh, 49ers are at 2.5. Uh, at the last I saw on the odds, they're 2.5 uh, points to beat the uh, to beat the Eagles. But I did want to say something about in the uh, the, the South uh, Division. Um, I got to tell you, I you know the Falcons. Excuse me, at what I think they're five and six. They're at the top of the division now. I think they're going to win it, and I think that uh, it's based on their schedule and also that they are getting better. And we can remember last year talking to uh, Darrell uh, Ledbetter, and he was saying that they were high on Ritter. Or uh, yeah, uh, riddle. What is it? Um, the uh, uh, quarter. Yeah, and and but I, you know, then they were down on him, but now he looks he looks pretty good, and they're getting better. So wouldn't it be surprising if they uh, they win the the South? What do you think, Roy? The chances of them? Well, certainly the chances are, are very good. Uh, as you said, I think the, the schedule is favorable because down the stretch they're going to play a lot of games in their own division, which is weak. 
Um, the Buccaneers have failed to take advantage of uh, several opportunities to win games they easily could have put away. Um, I mean, they fell victim, obviously, to, uh, to C.J. Stroud and, uh, and Houston uh, during their hot streak. Um, they kind of, you know, beat themselves again last week in Tampa. So, um, you know, so against Indianapolis. So, yeah, I think it's quite possible. Let's see uh, what happens when, when Tampa faces Atlanta again. But um, Atlanta wins that one. I think you're right. I think they win the division. I think it's going to come down to that game. Because I still think Tampa can win some games coming down the stretch here, but they got to clean some things up. I mean, they just defensively, Tampa has is, is really become very forgiving. Um, you know, they take the ball away very well defensively, but uh, they can get up to the quarterback at times, but they got a blitz to do it. Um, they can give up big chunks against the run, big chunks against the pass. Uh, that that defense looks a bit, a bit vulnerable, and um, obviously the offense. Uh, if, if if Baker Mayfield isn't really on his game, uh, there isn't much there because they, they're continuing to struggle to uh, run the ball. So yeah, I think Atlanta is a team that is uh, you know. Slow and steady wins the race sometimes, and I think that's kind of how they've taken the season. Slow and steady, you know, build build around the young quarterback, learn from your mistakes, uh, just continue to, to plow through the schedule as best you can and take advantage of the opportunities where you can win, and uh, that's what they've done. Roy, you were very hopeful uh, last week that uh, the Bucks could put it together and, and not only give a game, but also to have possibility of winning a game last Sunday. It, it just didn't turn out that way. Yeah, it, it's really it kind of it, it's kind of surprising, really. I mean, again, look, this is a, this is basically a veteran football team. Um, there's not a lot of kids sprinkled, you know, throughout the lineup at certain places, uh, particularly on the offensive and defensive lines, but. Um, you've got, you know, what some people can consider to be one of the better defensive minds in the game, uh, running the defensive side. Uh, Dave Canales is doing a pretty good job, I think, with the offensive side of the ball. But, you know, they and this time around, I mean, they, they figured out how to run the ball. I mean, they got a 100-yard game out of uh, Rashad White uh, with 15 carries, which is exceptional. Plus, he, you know, continues to be a, a weapon in the passing. Uh, Baker Mayfield had a, had a good game as well. He did have a couple of picks, but... You know, he still put them in position to win, but the defense just just can't hold. And, and I think that's a real problem. The Bucks have failed to win some games. And look, we said this all along with Tampa Bay. It's really kind of the same with Atlanta. If you win the games you should win, you're going to be there at the end. Well, the Bucks have failed to do that on, on at least two or three occasions this year. And I would say the last week was one of those occasions. I, I don't think Indianapolis is a better team than Tampa Bay, um, especially with uh, Gardner Minshew at quarterback. And um, you know, so and Tampa couldn't uh, couldn't pull out a victory. So uh, I think Tampa has failed on a couple of opportunities here to win games that they they were in position to win, could have won, should have won, and it's cost them dearly. And I think it may end up costing them the division or the spot in the playoffs because, as Roger said, uh, I think there's I think the Falcons are far more confident right now than the Bucks. Uh, the Bucks have to be a little bit shaken. Uh, with what they've uh, what they've allowed teams to do against them uh, over the last two, three, four weeks. Roger, that's Bill Berge's motto: is, is you, you got to win the games you're supposed to win, and then see what happens with the rest. Really, exactly what Roy's saying right now. And the Eagles have been able to do that all season. You were high on Atlanta coming in uh, uh, very competitively in the second half of the year this year, and that's where they stand right now. Yeah, well, it's amazing how they are able to find a way to win. And I guess that's what great teams do. 
because, uh, you know, they were uh, pretty much left for dead by many, uh, including me. And, uh, and, and then, you know, they got that long field goal and a couple of others. Uh, Swift uh, run was the key. Uh, and uh, once again, you know, there were some key defensive moves. Uh, you know, um, Cox uh, went out. So the, uh, the, the two young guys from uh, Georgia, they were gassed. Uh, I don't know if you, you saw uh, 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 Justin uh, uh, Davis on the ground because he had played a number of other uh, more, uh, more snaps and Jalen Carter, uh, you know, was the same way. And then you think about uh, Carter reaching up and blocking that uh, field goal, or else the uh, the Bills would have won in regulation. So it was just a lot of things. And you look at uh, Josh Allen. I thought he had an out. Oh, just a phenomenal game, and he gave it his all. And you know, in a lot of ways, uh, I'm I'm sorry about for the Bills because I think the world is Sean McDermott. Uh, for not only his time with the Eagles, but I got to interview him when he was this uh, defensive coordinator for Ron Rivera with the uh, with uh, Carolina Commanders. Uh, Commanders. Yeah. No. Well, yeah, he was the head coach, but he was at Carolina before, and that's when Sean McDermott was with him. And uh, and I've always uh, thought uh, Sean was terrific, and he's a terrific guy and a really good coach. So. We'll have to see. The Bills aren't out of it. They're uh, they're in the hunt. Uh, what is it, six games to go, depending on whether you have the bye. They have the bye this week. So, uh, you know, the, we'll, we'll see. And, like, Roy, as you were saying, uh, it comes down to uh, uh, the last few weeks on uh, games, and that's, you know, that's what it's, what's going to be the uh, deciding factor uh, for the playoffs right down to the end. Right, a little bit surprising on the line on that game. It's uh, only two and a half points right now, and 34 points the high and low. Of course, Jets can't score any, any points at all, so 34 may be high in that game. But uh, Roger is correct. Uh, I think if you go, you know, you're going into New York. If you can't beat the Jets, you're not going to beat anybody. <laughs> yeah, I would say. That. But you know what? Look, um, when the Jets have been competitive this year, uh, and they have in several games, uh, it's been their defense that's allowed defensively, them to be competitive. Defensively, they're competitive. Yeah, well, that's my point. And, and, and I think you, you, you've got to respect that. Um, you know, their game plan is just, just hold it tight. Uh, keep it close. Stay in it and hope that something, you know, a break goes your way. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes, but you do have to respect the defense. And for that reason, uh, you know, I can see, look, the, the lines make sense to me, um, but uh, just don't get trapped. You know, this is a game you don't want to get trapped in. Uh, you, you want to you somehow make, some, make some, enough big plays early on to get the crowd out of it, get the Jets out of it, and, and roll to a nice victory. But um, the last thing you want to do here is, uh, is have it, you know, 17-13, with uh, three and a half, four minutes to play, and uh, just have the ball. You just don't want that. Uh, or even with your, even if you've got the ball, because they can take it away and uh, you know and hurt you. So, just uh, this is a game that again we talked about it. You know already in this segment. Uh, this is a game that should be won, and uh, so you got to go in there and take advantage of that and uh, do what you got to do to get it. Done. 
Well, let me throw this to both of you. Uh, Roger, we'll start with you. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the New York Papers the last couple of days, and I can't believe even the, even the New York Paper, the, the columnist, said, how could this happen? You know, he wants to come back and play for a team that's not competitive, not going to have no chance to get into the, to the uh, playoffs, and he wants to come back and play a couple of games or be ready to play in the playoffs if they were to get there, which I don't think that's – I think that would be a miracle. But, I mean – Take a chance like that uh, to ruin that ankle again and maybe never play again for uh, coming back for a losing cause. We'll start with you, Roger. What do you think? Well, I just saw the uh, uh, bulletin or, or note on uh, television that uh, the 21-day uh, window has opened. Uh, the Jets have opened it up, so he has 21 days to uh, prepare to get back into action. And uh, I think it's up to him. I mean, you know, we've said things over the years about Tom Brady and about him. Uh, hey, listen, they're going to make the decision that they want to make for themselves. And no matter what we say about anything, it's going to be their decision. And I guess he's going to be playing a couple of games at the end of the year. Roy? You know, look, uh, I think – Look, the the Jets were going for broke in signing Aaron Rodgers. They probably feel that. I mean, look at the division, guys. I mean, it's it's not up for grabs, but it's it's possible for them with the way the Bills have played to get to the playoffs. And if it means that you somehow look, Aaron Rodgers, I'm sure he's he's played on you know with injuries before. I got to think that the I can't imagine the doctors would let him play if he's going to, you know, re-injure the, the ankle, the Achilles tendon, if he's going to, you know, suffer any more damage, if that's possible. Um, he may not be very fast or, or, or mobile. That may not be part of his game, but, you know, if they can somehow get him to stand back there in the pocket and protect him well enough that he can deliver, deliver the ball on time, well, that would be more than they're getting out of the quarterback position now. So I, I really think it's – I think the call is up to the doctors, but ultimately it's probably up to Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers will probably do whatever he wants to do, whether no matter what the doctors say. So and, – and if you're, the, if you're the Jets and Aaron Rodgers says he can play and, and you think, he, you know, you're watching him in practice and he looks like he can get it done – you know why not? Um, you know, go for broke this year. I'll go back. Uh, I'll go back to Roger now for a minute because we talked about this infinitum when Manning had the neck injury. Would it be wise for him to come back and play? Would it uh, be some kind of an injury that may, you know, sustain for a long period of time and really, uh, uh, you know, be more cautious than he seemed to be? Uh, he got away with it. He got back. He won a Super Bowl. He did all everything that uh, he wanted to do, and he didn't have any extension to any of the injuries. So, uh, you know, as, as you said, Roger, I guess they want to, if they want to play, they play. That's right. That's what Roy said, too. You know, if he wants to play, he's going to play. And, uh, and look, you know, there are – go ahead, Roy. And, guys, it's an ankle injury. You know, it's an Achilles tendon. Now, again – I still don't know. I mean, if it was a complete rupture of the Achilles tendon or if it was just a, a bad tear, uh, you know, maybe part of that Achilles tendon was still attached. I suffered an Achilles tendon tear. Mine snapped in half and, you know, rolled up the back of my ankle, uh, back of my leg. Uh, I don't think that's what happened here. But, um, you know, 
it's you know it's been several months. Uh, I'm sure he's, I'm sure I'm sure the rehab has been top 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 notch and. Uh, you know, again, he's, he's still got the 21 days here, and I think those are critical weeks uh, for him to, you know, continue rehabbing this thing and uh, getting himself out there. But, you know, uh, the other thing might be that just, and who knows, maybe maybe this is all just, uh, you know, speculation that he's out there just throwing the ball around. Uh, it's hard to know how much he's actually practicing. But, um, you know, look, again, if I think the Jets feel as if, if there's any chance at all to get something out of this season, uh, and if it means that Aaron Rodgers uh, plays this year but never plays again or doesn't play next year, I think they'll take that chance. I really do. Yeah, you're right. Well, I'll take a quick word in before it's time for you to go, and uh, we're going to have uh, Tom LeMain on to talk in Philadelphia about the Flyers and about the Philadelphia 76ers who put together a couple unbelievable wins the last couple of nights. But, uh, uh, your thoughts that every time I look at the paper, every time I look at a game, uh, I see the Lightning, they're 500, they're one below 500, they're one above 500. They can't sustain. No, that's, uh, that, you're absolutely right. They are uh, they're just kind of plowing through here and uh, trying to find themselves. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's a couple of issues here. I mean, look, Vasilevsky's back. That's a big boost for them, no doubt. Uh, it'll, it's going to allow them to kind of go back and play the style that they've played before, which is, um, you know, at times it, it's kind of, uh, you know, kind of a free, free break uh, kind, of, kind of offensive, you know, style where everybody's, you know, pinching in defensively and, uh, you know, and that kind of thing. So we'll see what happens there. But um, right now their issues run a little bit deeper than, than Vasilevsky, and they run a little bit deeper than when Kucherov's not there. I mean, they're just um, – the, the players that, that they brought in and they replaced the Alex Florence with the Andre Palats, uh, you know, the, the Yanni Gord, they're good players. But, you know, I, I think they're poor men. They're, they're a poor man's. Alex Kalorn, Connor Sheary, you know, Tanner Janot is a poor man's Andre Pollard or Yanni Gord. Um, the chemistry is not quite the same, and I think that's what's hurt the Lightning the most, is just the chemistry is not quite the same. They just they just don't look as as strong, as powerful as they used to. I, I wouldn't sleep on them. Uh, I wouldn't do that. I still think they're dangerous. And I th- still think they're going to find themselves before the season's over and uh, and make some noise here. But uh, you're right. Right now, um, they're a 500 hockey club, and uh, they're a 500 hockey club. So that's how they that's how they're playing. Roger, we'd like to finish it out before we swing over to Bill Berge at 7:30. Well, I think it'll be an interesting weekend uh, where all the college uh, uh, conferences are having their uh, uh, their uh, uh, finals, you know, their championship games. That'll be interesting on Saturday. And then it'll be interesting on Sunday to see some of these key NFL games. We'll know whether uh, the Eagles uh, are going to continue to be have uh, one loss if they can beat San Francisco. And we'll know about a lot of the other teams, too, that we talked about. Well, it should be a great weekend uh, for football, college, and pro. Roy, it's always a pleasure. We seem to jump once more to another, and we have a lot of fun doing it. So thank you very much again tonight. Have a great week, Roy. Pleasure's always mine, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Have a great week. Thank you. 
Bill Bergie's on hold for a few minutes, and uh, Frank, you want to jump in here? Uh, I heard you say yes. two names, but I don't know exactly what we're talking, what we're talking about. There's a couple major events coming up uh, this next week. Uh, one is a guy who gave, who started uh, playing golf at, about, at the age of 11, gave uh, 50 years of his adult uh, uh, to coaching, and uh, being a, a uh, first he was an assistant to the pro to technical uh, century, uh, learned a lot from him. He back up to him to Delaware and, and uh, started uh, a couple places when he became the uh, uh, pro uh, at uh, Penn Oaks. And then he retired from Penn Oaks and became the director of golf uh, for uh, Rock Manor in uh, Wilmington. Uh, Mike Cole is retiring in the first of the year uh, after uh, 51 years of service to the community. Uh, Mike's average number of lessons that he's given in the last five years is between 1,100 and 1,200 lessons. Uh, so that's, uh, that's a real, uh, real, that's a real strong at work ethic as far as I can. But uh, so, Mike, we, uh, we appreciate you being on with us sometimes. We're glad you listened tonight. Uh, you're going to have a great retirement, although I know you're not going to retire. Uh, the other thing is, uh, uh, Sean Jackson has um, made the decision that he's going to come back. Hold, hold on a second, Frank. Uh, Roger, Roger you got to move away from some, somebody screaming in the background there. Go ahead. What was that, Don? Yeah. Somebody's hollering in the background. You're, I, I said at the beginning of the show you're at the Wild Wings over in Pennsylvania, but uh, uh, you had somebody yelling right behind you. Go ahead. All right, Frank, go ahead. Uh, yeah, Deshaun Jackson has made the decision to officially retire uh, from, foot, from uh, NFL. Um, you know, he stayed so many years to the uh, Eagles. To the, uh, he's coming back. He's going to sign a one-day contract. And he'll retire as a uh, as a Philadelphia Eagle and uh, as an honorary captain of the team. Uh, yeah, he was. Uh, oh, that's terrific! That's he, terrific. He also is 39th in NFL history in the uh, total yards per catch. Mm-hmm. I think his average right. is like what's Frank 17.5, something like that. But yes. he's 39th. Bob yes. Papa was talking to Charlie Weiss about that on Sirius XM uh, NFL radio today. Great. Played in 95 games, and his receiving yardage was 6,520. Tremendous, uh, tremendous athlete, tremendous player, and tremendous player. So we want to let our our fans up in the Philadelphia area know that. Oh, he'll get a a round of applause uh, from the Eagles fans. Let me tell you. Now, never forget that uh, that catch into uh, at Giants Stadium when he did like mm-hmm. a skip pin to the end zone. <laughs> we'll never yep. forget that picture. <laughs> yep. You know, the hey, other, another thing, it. fellas, uh, is that uh, big weekend this weekend, college basketball in Philadelphia, because uh, they, it's going to be the big five uh, tournament. And uh, they've got everybody back, and it, we were talking about it here tonight. And I know, Don, this is something uh, just like uh, Frank and myself, because 
of we, we went to schools there. You broadcast the Temple for low those many years. And, uh, and of course, with Dan Baker here, he was the executive secretary for years. I mean, that, that is a real uh, accomplishment and something very encouraged and, and, uh, because they're going to have Drexel involved, too, as well they should. And that's going to be this weekend, the Big Five uh, big tournament. And it's a big night tonight for Philadelphia basketball. Villanova, 15-point choice right now over St. Joe's, which was certainly well expected. And uh, Temple's playing tonight. Uh, I think they're playing LaSalle, if I'm not mistaken. Temple's playing... Uh, let me find it here quickly. Well, anyway, I know Temple's playing tonight, too. Uh, so there's a lot of basketball going on tonight in the city of Philadelphia. And, of course, as you said, the Big Five tournament... Uh, it's something that they resurrected. Uh, Dan really had great ideas about how to promote uh, the Big Five because it's a tremendous change in, in things that happened uh, uh, basketball-wise, both the pros and, and the college scene in Philadelphia. Uh, the Big Five was a big, big entity for years and years and years. And uh, now because of the smaller gyms uh, bringing in uh, lesser competition, uh, it's been very difficult to uh, maintain that uh, sold-out crowd, so they're trying to rebuild that, Roger. And they're going to, no doubt about it. I'll tell you, those hey Temple-St. Joe's games, Frank, were the best, weren't they? Yes, they were. Guys, we were joined by the most, uh, uh, probably the strongest guy I've ever met, something Eagles, a guy who has strong convictions, has come through a hell of a lot of health problems, but just like everything else, he beat it. So, uh, without, without further ado, uh, Mr. Bill Berge. How are you Number doing, 66? guys? Happy to be with you. Uh, I'll tell you nothing. Bill, anytime you come it's on, it's always a pleasure. Yep. Well, yes, it you. is. And it's getting stronger every day, I'll tell you. When you told us a couple of weeks ago your health was really improved and things were going smooth, best news we could have ever heard. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And we tell have about, a tell pretty us about good winning football down the home team stretch, in Philadelphia. Bill. I'm sorry? I say, tell us about winning down the stretch. The Philadelphia Eagles, they go to the wire, but they win. <laughs> yes. And they're, they're going to have home field all the way. And uh, believe it or not, they still have not played their best football game yet. They're finding right. ways to win, but they're not they, – they just – aren't hitting on all cylinders yet. Right. Do you think that's going to happen on uh, Sunday, Bill, against uh, San Francisco? It's going to be a tough, tough game. Uh, As a matter of fact, I was really surprised to see uh, San Francisco favored by two and a half points. But uh, you just can't bet against the Eagles at home. You just can't do it. And I know that San Francisco is a good team, and then they play Dallas, then they play San Francisco. I mean, uh, uh, Seattle after that. So they have uh, they have some tough games coming up. But uh, I, I think they ought to be able to take care of San Francisco. Well, I would agree with you there, Bill. I think San Francisco yeah. is uh, maybe the best team in the West right now. Uh, but at the same time, uh, you're on the road and. Uh, so it'll be very interesting because I'll tell you, Lynch has done a terrific job as general manager. They sort of laughed at him when he, 
you know, left the radio TV booth in Tampa and became the general manager uh, out in San Francisco. But he's proven he knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah, but I will tell you one thing. Traveling all the way across the country does take a little bit out of a football player. So I think that is uh, to the advantage of the Philadelphia Eagles also. Roger? Yeah, I agree. And um, I, I think, you know, you've got to really watch Christian McCaffrey. He is one heck of a oh, player. Oh, he is wonderful. He is a uh, great player. I wish we had him. Yeah, I, I do too, Bill. And, uh, you know, another thing we were just talking before you came on about the Sean Watson announced his retirement and he wants to retire as an Eagle. And I guess he's going to, and they're going to honor him as the uh, honorary captain. Um, this uh, Sunday, but uh, I'll tell you, you know, I heard his statistics. He is 39th all time in uh, total yards per catch average 17. Uh I think it's 17.5 yards. And then when you start looking at the, the guy, I think who's number one is the old giant Homer Jones. And that Uh shocked me. I I think he's number one or number two, but you know, I did not know that. No, I, I didn't either. Bob Papa was talking to Charlie Weiss about it on uh, Sirius XM. And, you know, that's a statistic that you don't really think about, you know, over the years. But then when you, then when you do start thinking about it, you say, wow, those numbers are phenomenal. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what was phenomenal is when our kicker, Jake Elliott, kicked a 59-yard field goal in the rain, in the wind, uh, right at the end of the game. Really, I mean, uh, Buffalo, all they would have had to do is take a knee a couple of times. But he made that by even uh, quite a little bit, believe it or not. And uh, they got into overtime, and that's when Jalen sprinted into the end zone for the go-ahead touchdown in overtime. Well, they've had two games like that where a team has had a chance to, you know, run it out or save the clock or whatever. And every time they do it, Washington was the other one. I couldn't think of what it was for the moment. Washington was the other team. They came down, scored a touchdown with, what, uh, I don't know, 40 seconds, 35 seconds to go. Uh, A miracle touchdown. uh, And and went ahead of the Eagles. And uh, the Eagles had, like, I don't know, I was going to say 40. I can't remember the exact number about 40 seconds, and they went, you know, eight, uh, 65 yards and scored a touchdown, won the game, and tied the game, I'm sorry, they kicked the field goal first, tied the game, went into overtime, and uh, Washington chose to uh, not take the ball. They decided to play defense, right. and uh, they they wound up losing the game. I couldn't believe it. I, to me, yeah. I, I, I just can't imagine doing that. Well, I will tell you one thing. Nick Sariani the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. He is a player's coach. I think all of the players really love him, and uh, they really want to play hard for him, and I think that uh, speaks uh, volumes, really. Roger? Does he remind you of uh, your old coach, Dick Vermeil, at all, Bill? He does a little bit. Uh, the thing that's really unbelievable is he was – born and raised 
about 10 miles from where I was born and raised in western New York. He was born in Jamestown, New York, but uh, he's a young guy. He's enthusiastic. You can see him on the sideline getting fired up at times. But uh, he is uh, pushing all the right buttons, and he's just doing a great job, and the players really respect him. Well, I think that's one of the things, Bill. It's very, very tough to tell from the outside looking in. You're in a much better position than we are as to uh, how the players actually feel about the coaching staff at any particular time. Uh, I mean, uh, let's face it. A lot of it, you talk about it many, many times, how much respect you had for Dick, how much respect you had for the coaching staff, what they were trying to do. And it's pretty much got to be a – in unison, everybody has to be in agreement to what's going to happen, and if you don't, you're not going to win. That's exactly right. And uh, Dick Vermeil, besides him being my head coach and my boss at one time, I can honestly say he's the best friend I have, and I really love the guy. And he did a great job. And hey, he chewed me out a couple of times when I screwed up, but uh, that just uh, adds the respect that I have for him. Well, I will tell you that uh, Don and the late uh, great Bill Al, uh, Big Al Meltzer will tell you that I got chewed out by the coach in a press conference <laughs> one Monday. And they turned around and said to me, Bill, better you than us. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's, it's the same him, way yeah. with us. Dick, Dick comes on the show, Bill, uh, often. Uh, and has been very, very gracious to us on the show, as you have been. Uh, we talk about the Eagles. We talk about all kinds of different things. But uh, uh, his reign with the Eagles was really sensational because they came from nowhere to going to the Super Bowl, and it was all primarily because of what the head coach did. That's exactly right, and I couldn't agree with you more. Roger? I don't know if you, yeah, I don't know, Bill, if you saw on uh, Monday Night Football, uh, I guess it was last week, uh, week before, um, they showed Mark Wahlberg they, on the, uh, uh, the uh, uh, Peyton Manning, you know, Eli Manning on ESPN2. They had Mark Wahlberg on, and, of course, he played Vince Papali in Invincible. And uh, uh-huh. it, they showed a lot of pictures, you know, uh, of the uh, Eagles then and, and uh, uh, the, you know, action pictures. And, of course, it was, you were all involved in that uh, during that time. And it was really a nice piece. And, uh, you know, and then they had Caitlin Clark on, who was like the biggest fan of the Chiefs. <laughs> and I think she's great as a basketball player. But I got hit sick and tired of hearing her talking about the Chiefs. So, uh, but I know that section of Mark Wahlberg, anybody that saw it, and it was all about Invincible, I thought that was great. Brought back a lot of memories, and especially, you know, uh, players like you. His job was not given to him by Dick Vermeil. He earned his job. And uh, there was a lot of players that would beat the living hell out of Vince Papali, but he kept getting uh, back up, back up, and... uh, I uh, wanted to say to him a couple of times, just stay down, relax a little bit. But uh, he absolutely earned his position. He ended up being one of the uh, captains of uh, the special team. And uh, he was a great special team player. 
He's another one that comes on with us on a regular basis, Phil, and also his son, who yeah. uh, plays in the other league, is hoping to get a uh, chance again in the National Football League as a wide receiver. And he's uh, very, very gracious and comes on with us as well. One thing I'd like to ask you, Bill, before you leave, and that is uh, okay. injuries. We're talking now the last couple of days, the New York Post has been writing many, many stories about Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers wants to come back, even though the team does not have a chance, or at least I shouldn't say not have a chance. There's a minute chance they can still get in the playoffs. You've been, you fought through injuries. Uh, everybody in the National Football League fights through injuries. Uh, this is a little bit different. Uh, you're playing for a team. You signed a two-year contract. I would think you'd want to really hope that you could deliver next year as a healthy player, not participate and get hurt again in a non-essential game. Well, I just hope Aaron Rodgers uh, uses his head. As far as uh, I'm concerned, I wish, I really do wish, now that it's all over, I wish I would have retired after 10 years and I would have walked away from the game 100% healthy. But year 12 and year 13, I had a knee injury, I had shoulders, I had an elbow. Uh, I just had all kinds of problems. So uh, the only thing that's sad is that's when you're at the end of your career, you're making the most money. So you want to keep uh, doing it as much as you can. But uh, if I had to do it all over again, I would have retired after 10 years, called a career, and been uh, very happy with that. Roger? Well, you know, I agree with you, Bill. And I look at some of these players that uh, have been around. Jason Peters playing, uh, what, for the 20 Cowboys? 20 years. 20, yeah, 20 years. years. Yeah, yeah, 20 years, 40 years old. And, yeah. uh, and, and, and it's, it's amazing. And I know Cox got hurt on Sunday. Uh, but what did you think of those two uh, young guys, uh, Davis and Carter? Boy, I'll tell you, Davis, when he was laying on the ground at the end of the game when he chased Allen, I give him a lot of credit. He was absolutely gassed. But you give yeah. him credit that he kept him from going, getting a first down on that run. Well, you know, injuries are a real big part of the game of football, and uh, sometimes you've got to be real smart, do the right thing. That's why uh, Fletcher Cox, he uh, gets hurt like every other game, and uh, he just knows when it's not his time to keep playing, and uh, I kind of respect that. But football, it is a tough, nasty, nasty game, guys. It is. It absolutely is, and you know better than anybody. A lot tougher when you played, Bill. I have to say that. Uh, these quarterbacks today, all you have to do is brush them, and they go down, and there goes the flag. I know, and that drives me crazy. <laughs> Probably that drives me more crazy than anything. You'll hit a quarterback after he throws the ball and just barely touch him. And, I mean, back in my day when I was playing, you could clothesline him. You could hit him high. You could hit him low. You could do everything. Now you can't hit him high. You can't hit him low. You can't land on them. It's like they ought to have a, like a yellow jersey on so they uh, uh, can tell everybody, hey, don't hit me, I've got the yellow jersey. <laughs> Go ahead, Roger. No, you're right. You're exactly right. I mean, some of these calls, I mean, you know, where do they get these officials from, Bill? 
I mean, it, you know, there's so uh, there's stuff that happens right in front of them. They don't call, and then stuff ha- handles uh, has twenty uh, is twenty yards away, and they do call. I don't get yeah. it. Yeah, it's just well, so the bad. one that got me in the Buffalo Bill uh, Philadelphia Eagle game was uh, we we had horse collared uh, their quarterback. Yeah. And uh, he ended up being horse collar, and he threw the ball, which was short of the line of scrimmage. And where it should have been uh, an absolute horse collar, it ended up uh, being uh, uh, threw the ball away, and they penalized the uh, Buffalo Bills, and I thought that was rotten. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're absolutely true and correct on that. Absolutely. That was amazing. Yeah. Well, so many games, unfortunately, so many games with all the replays they have and everything that goes on now, and some of the things they can't replay because it's not in the rules that uh, seem obvious as you're looking at the game on television. And, uh, you know, they make so many different rule changes, and it, as you said, Bill, you can't – what you thought was good last year isn't necessarily good this year. That's right. That's exactly right. Consistently, consistently inconsistent. That's the way uh, you got to yep. look at some of this stuff, Bill. Yep, absolutely. Well, the noise here in the background, Bill Rogers in a uh, wings place tonight. They're, they're honoring uh, Nolan from the from the Flyers, and who else is there, Roger? Well, Dan Baker, the uh, PA announcer for the uh, Phillies. And, of course, Bill, when you were with the Eagles, he was the PA announcer then. Right. And, I remember uh, and him well. I'm sure, and uh, also Lou Nolan, uh, over 50 years as the uh, PA announcer for the Flyers. So tonight, just for the two of them, for the Phillies and and the uh, the, the uh, Flyers, they are 106 years of doing PA in Philadelphia. That is unbelievable. It sounds yeah, it almost is. like they're at a daycare center with all the racket in the background. Yeah, well, you know what, Bill? Hey, Bill, it's it's out not far from you. You probably have been here. It's Buffalo Wild Wings in Glen Mills on Route 1. I have been there. <laughs> I have been there. Bill Berge, I, I listen to your show all the time. I listen to you all the time, Bill Berge, so you know who I am. <laughs> uh-huh. Ooh. <laughs> Ooh. Tom LeMaine. Tom LeMaine. Okay. The first thing that Bill Berge ever said to me when he met me, I listen to you all the time. So <laughs> I listen to you, Bill. Bill Berge, Bill Berge had a pre at a, at a uh, Eagles pregame show uh, back when Tommy McDonald and I were doing Eagle Talk, and uh, he would follow uh, Tommy and I with his show. And Ron Jaworski had a show back in those days. And I'll tell you what, I had more fun with that Eagles football team than any football team I ever had. I was, you know, with Dick Vermeil as the coach, Fergie yeah. at linebacker, Ron Jaworski quarterback. It, it was a great time, Bill, and it, was, and it was great to spend any time with you that I did back then. Well, I appreciate that, and I thank you very, very much. I'll tell you, it was some great shows. Jordan said to McDonald, that was a great show, and, of course, <laughs> they made a play out of McDonald, uh, which was a really a terrific, terrific play. And... Uh, we saw it at the Bucks County Playhouse this year. And, of course, Tommy McDonald, one of the great Eagles of all time, and a great character to go along with it. And he and Jurgis and McDonald were on every Sunday night. I think it was uh, 
channel either 11 to 11.30 or 11.30 to 12. I can't remember which one, but it was on every Sunday night. And that was a fun show. Bill, you had a lot of you had a lot of characters during those generations, during those years, and boy, oh boy, uh, it's altogether different now. I know that was one of the good old days. I wish we could bring them back. Yeah, I'm I'll give you, you one. Ex- I'll give you one example. One example, and I'm going to use this from now on the rest of my life. When I was broadcasting the '76er games, they were the Warriors, Philadelphia Warriors. They were sold to San Francisco for $1 million. Uh-huh. Eddie Gottlieb thought it was the greatest deal anybody had ever made on a basketball <laughs> team in all the years it existed. Well, today, the Dallas Cowboys, or not Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas the Mavericks were sold for $3.5 billion. Wow. <laughs> the majority owner, $3.5 billion he got today for his share I tell you, he, he, he makes money at everything he does. Wow. That's amazing. Unbelievable. That's, Bill, I'll tell that, you a that funny was story. A, that was only a share. Tom LeMain will know this uh, this site. I uh, may not know the story. When I was in college, and that's when uh, Tommy McDonald, Sonny Jurgensen were playing. Um, uh-huh. There, you know, they had the blue laws in Pennsylvania, where you, you know, you couldn't sell liquor and beer on Sunday. And the Eagles at the time, they there was this deli, and Tom, it was it right across the street from the Wellington, where WIP was, and of course where you broadcast from for many years. Uh-huh. And it was the deli, and the uh, the, the Eagle players would hang out there because they could get beer on a Sunday night. So I was telling this right. guy that I was in management with in the class at Temple, and he didn't believe me. <clears throat> so he went down there on a Sunday night, and he comes in Monday. He says, oh, yeah, I was talking to all these players last night down there. <laughs> <laughs> so it might have been, I don't know, a dozen guys. But I was right, and I had heard about this. And this classmate of mine, he went down there. He didn't believe me. Came back and said, "Oh, you're you're right." So those were the differences then. Tonight, now with the money they make, Bill, they have their own private parties on Sunday nights or whatever. I hear you absolutely. <laughs> well, Mark Mark Cuban not only makes a lot of money on television, not only made a lot of money in the stock market, but now he's made three point what I say, three point five billion dollars for his share. Of the Mavericks, I can't believe it. I, I, yeah, it is. It is absolutely unbelievable. It really is. And, uh, yeah, you know, and not that the uh, not that the players aren't making a lot of money in all sports right now. They are a uh, great deal of money. Everybody's making a lot of money. But uh, boy, oh boy, oh boy, with yeah. that, from one million, well, one million, which was considered out of this world, to yeah. billions. That's a, that's something else again. <laughs> Well, you guys yeah, but, you know, uh, me. Who do you like, uh, Sunday on the late game, anybody, uh, Philadelphia or San Fran? Well, I'm saying the truth. Fly. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say that I like, I like uh, the Philadelphia Eagles to win it, but I think they're gonna win it by a few, not more than a field goal. Okay. Why yeah, is San that's San Francisco favored? Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Why is San Francisco favored? Why is San Francisco favored? 
Oh, away. yeah, that's what I don't you know. know. Home, don't, home field know advantage, that. Tommy. Three points. Three Pardon points me? is worth the home field advantage. Yeah, and they're favored yeah, uh, they're they're by two and a half, so that's like a five-and-a-half-point spread. Yeah, exactly. Right. It but those bookies, they so know a hell of a lot more than we know. Yeah, you know, right I, I just that. go. I, I, I just go by the odds. You know, the odds of any team. I don't care who you are, how good you are. What are the odds of a team going twelve and one? See, I, I, I don't bet the You're odds. Right. I don't. I, I don't. I don't bet the team. I bet in a situation like this, I bet the odds. What are the odds of a team going twelve and one? How many times has that happened? And that's why I look at it this way. And I'm sure that has played a lot into the fact. That San Francisco's favorite. I'm sure so you're give, right. Give us I, your I'm observation sure right before we that. let you go. We, before we let you go, give us your observation on what you think. I think the Eagles are going to win. I think that they put all of their parts together. I think they'll win by double digits, 10 points. Uh, San Francisco, they got to come all the way across the country. I think it's going to be a tough proposition. Christian McCafferty. One heck of a football player. They got a good quarterback. Uh, we have a great offensive line, a good defensive line, and if we put everything together, yeah. I think we'll beat them by ten points. Yeah, absolutely. Roger, get your two so, cents so. worth in. Yeah, that's what I, I'm with you, Don. I think they'll win by at least a field goal, maybe five points. Well, Bill well, Berge, I want to thank you so much for being on with us again tonight. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. Anytime, guys. The best part is I Bill, know that you're in good we'll shape. Bill, take care. fingers crossed for the game. Okay. I'm glad that you're recovering. You sound great, Bill. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it, guys. You have a nice Go night. Go get him. We'll, fi- we'll find out whether your 10 points is correct on, on Sunday night. <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. <laughs> Tom, Tom Lanette has been kind enough to join us. I didn't get a chance to introduce Tom uh, at the oh, beginning. Yeah. He came in in the middle of Bergie's uh, presentation. But, uh, of course, Tom Lemain has uh, worked in all phases of Philadelphia sports as well as uh, TV news, weather. He's been around the dial on everything. So, Tom Lemain, uh, give us, first of all, an observation on the Flyers, where you think they stand right now. Well, if the season ended right now, they would be in the playoffs. How about that? <laughs> wow. Uh, but but also, when you say stand, where they stand, look at the standings in the uh, Eastern Conference. Of the 16 teams in the Eastern Conference, only three have losing records. Mm. So, you know, that's uh, and in the Western Conference, at least uh, six or eight of them have losing records. But that's how tough right. that uh, not only the uh, conferences, but how about the division that the Flyers are in? They, um, you know, when you talk about a tough stretch on the schedule, uh, this past week the Flyers played the uh, the uh, Islanders, the Rangers, and then the Islanders again. And in those three games, they faced the two best goalies in the league each of those games: Shirokin, Shostakin, and, and the and the Rangers. Uh, and the Rangers game, to me, and I talked to Peter Lavalette after the game, the Rangers coach, and I said, you guys ought to play each other more often. That was a tremendous game. And to add to that, the atmosphere, about 20, maybe 25% of the crowd were Rangers fans. And that really set the tempo and the atmosphere for that game. It was a great game. And, of course, then the Flyers play the Islanders. There is no score after overtime. 
Now, how many times do you hear that? <laughs> you know, and, and the Flyers fortunately won the shootout. But when you face those two goalies three nights in a row, and, you know, if you come away with one point, and by the way, the one point they got was when they scored the only goal of the game. And that's, uh, you know, that just shows you how tough that division is. Uh, the, if Peter Lavalette has the Rangers. Hey, he's getting the most out of the players now that, that I think the Rangers have shown for a long time. And uh, he's, uh, you know, yeah, and the, you know once, once you have a good goalie and the Rangers have, and the Rangers and the Islanders and the Flyers have good goalies, you're going to be in it. Tom, that great that game, that overtime shootout game was phenomenal to watch that. You know, you could watch a game like that every night, just like the Eagles uh, a game against Buffalo on Sunday. Uh, but uh, I'm out here, uh, brought Dan Baker out. Uh, we're at the, in Glen Mills at the uh, Buffalo Wild Wings because uh, he and, uh, and, and one of your uh, good friends, Lou Nolan, PA announcer for the Flyers, were honored tonight on this show. Uh, that they uh, they do out here, and uh, I know uh, you know I told Lou I'm going to be in on with Don, and he hadn't seen Don in years and years, but he was also telling um, one of the uh, fans about where he has to sit now, which you had explained to me. Uh, you know he's no longer down in, uh, next to the penalty box, and he said that was all a result of COVID that the league uh, d- uh, dictated, and he has just stayed there. But he said he was up in the rafters for a while because they had to be uh, checked for COVID every day, all the players and uh, and also him. So, um, but I know you know he's, there's two legends that are here tonight, and you, you know you're close to uh, both of them. So, uh, but the fly, I think the Flyers are really uh, getting better as the season goes on, and uh, I think. Uh, Jonesy and uh, and Briere uh, have really done a great job putting everything together. No, John Tortorella has done a good job. That, that, that's let's start with John Tortorella, and let's start with John Tortorella and work our way up. Um, by the way, Dan uh, Lou Nolan is still upstairs. He's not back on the ice anymore. No, um, he, no, that's what he, he said. Yeah. No, he's still but not back up, up in the upstairs. Raptors. Yeah, no, he's and a, that's he's the worst the place of... to be. I want to tell you. I don't know whether Tommy, well, you were when you were working the Seventy Sixers when they we got we were up in the rafters of radio, and uh, oh my God, you, you had no no information whatsoever going back and forth. It, you know now, of course, the well, uh, the referees come over to the radio booth and they come over to the TV booth and tell them exactly, explain exactly what's going. But when you were up in the rafters of Madison Square Garden, you didn't get one word of what happened, what was happening. Well, unless you were with Bill Campbell. Uh, Bill Campbell, one time, the first time, the first time our seats on the floor were sold to seats uh, to uh, customers, Bill said, I'm not doing a game up here. I said, Bill, well, you know, the, the broadcast lines are up here. It was just one time, first time it happened. And he leaves the broadcast location in a huff. It's getting close to the game. He comes back, and he, uh, after the first commercial break, he says to me, we're going downstairs in the second half. And I said, Bill, the broadcast lines are up here. And he said, well, you see those two guys working down there on the floor? They're putting in the broadcast lines now. And we're, <laughs> so we did, the, we did the first half up in the so-called rafters. And the second half, we did the game from down on the floor. And there's a lot that, you know, I have two thoughts on that. There's a lot to be said about doing a basketball game on the floor because there's so many calls that are made 
and the referee comes right over to the table and tells you, or you can Correct. hear it because you're that they're that close. Myself, I prepare. I I prefer to watch a hockey game from where we are because you you get hockey to call a hockey game and to really appreciate a hockey game. You really have to anticipate what is going to happen to see the whole ice at the same time. When you're down on the floor, and I and I I filled in for Lou Nolan a couple of times, and it's like it's like when you when you pull up to a uh, a railroad crossing, right? If you're the first car at that railroad crossing, you can't read what the cars are saying. But if you're like the sixth or eighth or tenth car back, you can tell what kind of a car it is. And if it's a passenger car, you can tell the people who are sitting in the car. And that's how I, you know, that's how I compare the two things of sitting on the floor and, and sitting up in the so-called rafters. Hockey, give me the well, upstairs. Well, of course, Marv Albert did the same the thing. Marv Albert, uh, you know, eventually he uh, he really dominated broadcasting in New York and at Madison Square Garden until he got into the difficulty. But, and then he was banished from Madison Square Garden. But uh, he was the same one. And that's when they built the they built the booth right over the exit. You may remember now, uh, yeah. right over the exits uh, down on the lower right-hand side of Madison Square Garden. That's where they broadcast from, and uh, not from upstairs anymore. And uh, but no. eventually they got us all back down on the floor, just like they are everywhere else. So uh, it was it was much better. It was just you just couldn't tell. Uh, you know, the game is uh, is so difficult to look at it to, to begin with when you're looking at offensive fouls or or whatever the case may be, uh, and uh, or if there's a, a, a discrepancy and they have to go to the video retape. You know, now as you said, they come right over to the the broadcast and say, "Look, this is what we're looking for. What was the clock setting is? What you know, when the foul was committed, and so forth." Well, you never get that if you're upstairs. No, but you also get the feeling of the players. I mean, you can hear what they're saying. Uh, you can hear the coach calling out plays, so you can anticipate. I'm talking basketball, but uh, in hockey, you know, you don't get that because there's not the there's not that connection with the coach and the players on the ice as there is with a coach running up and down the court uh, in a basketball game and yelling out the, the plays to the players. So there's a big difference between, uh, you know, being on the floor for basketball and being on the on the ice for hockey. I think so anyway. Right. Roger? Well, yeah, I, I can remember at the Spectrum, uh, you know, being there for 76er games, and I was sitting way up in the uh, uh, rafters because that's where uh, the visiting radio was. And I remember one night I was sitting next to uh, John Sterling. Uh, that's the Yankees, you know, and he was doing the uh, Atlanta Hawks games when he was in Atlanta. And uh, it was interesting. I mean, I, I think you're just so far away. However, uh, having sat next to you, Tom, uh, up in the uh, press box uh, area of the uh, Wells Fargo Center, I think those are great seats. And I'm with you. In hockey especially, you really get to see the plays develop. Oh, yeah. I prefer sitting up. I, I wouldn't want to sit on the ice if I, if I, when I buy tickets to a hockey game. Oh, why don't you get it right behind the goalie? No, 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 no. Up behind the goalie but about 20, 20 seats up, 20 rolls up because – you get to see the game better, and the, the, the game of hockey is so fast that you have to really get a look at the whole ice at one time so you can anticipate and really see what's happening. 
and also to be able to tell what has happened. And uh, you miss you miss a beat in hockey, you've missed a lot. And that's what makes the game Tom, great. Tom, you and I are old enough to remember, and uh, we talked about it a little in the last half hour, when Eddie Gottlieb sold the Warriors to San Francisco, he got a million dollars. And everybody thought, oh, my God, a million dollars? A million dollars for a basketball team? They thought it was the greatest yeah, thing in the world. They yeah. thought that Eddie Gottlieb had made a home run. Well, see what Cuba yeah, did today? Yeah, but Don, but Don how, much was the, how much was the ticket to a basketball game? Eh, probably 15, oh, 20 much? bucks. Yeah, 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 a couple as of hundred. To, as, a, as opposed to a couple of hundred. So everything is relative. You know, and somebody asked me the other night about um, – who is the greatest basketball player, LeBron or, or, you know, anybody? I said, you cannot compare eras. You just cannot right. compare one basketball player who played in the 80s to a basketball player who's playing today. However, I witnessed history the other night when the Sixers beat the Lakers by 44 points. It was the First largest. First time ever. Def- it was the largest loss suffered in the career of LeBron James. He never, ever lost a game by 44 points. And to me, that's history. And, you know, when I look at it, I, I, you know, the Sixers out in the th- – I don't know how you feel about the three-point goals. And, but in that game, the Sixers had 22 three-pointers. That's 66 points, right? The Lakers had seven three-pointers. That's 66 to 14, the Sixers beat the Lakers in three-point shooting. However, the Lakers beat the Sixers in points in the paint by 35 to 15. So what kind of a a game would you rather see? Would you rather see the three-pointers that measured 66 to 14, or would you rather see points in the paint game that measured 35 to 15? I I just, uh, you know... The game that you're talking about is one of the, you know, I saw Marquette last year against Villanova when they hit all those three-point shots, the same idea as we're talking about now. It, and it's a, great, it's a great comparison. However, the three-point shots are not made at that. They're made probably at 28.9, 28.7%, you know. And so if you're hitting three-pointers, that's all wonderful. But the fact there's no post play, there's no there's no inside game for the most part in the NBA now. So you don't see uh, if, if if your team is on and they're shooting three point shots well, okay they're going to win. But they have no second. They have nothing behind it. If they're not shooting three point shots, the coaches don't have anything to do. There's no post play. There's no post players. Well, I, I, you know, it's a matter of uh, opinion how you look at it. But uh, uh, as much as much as I like the shot clock, I just like the three-point shot. And I just, uh, you know, it's not going to go away. Somebody even said, uh, why don't you make, you know, bring it back another two feet and make a four-point shot. Oh, yeah, right. I hope that never happens. They were no. thinking about well, doing Tom, that. When it first came in, I thought it was good. I really did think it was good because I thought at the end of the game, you were down by nine points or eight points or something. Rather than commit deliberate fouls, which are never called, but, you know, yeah. to me, every time you commit a foul in the last well, three minutes or two minutes, 90% of the time it's a deliberate foul. But they don't call it that way. They call it, okay, we're getting a positional foul. 
And, yeah. Well, no, and, and, that's a joke. And this, this, it's not a positional foul. It's, a, it's, a, it's an intentional foul. And it's in, well, the other night, one of the one of the tiebreakers in this in-season tournament is point spread. How many points you beat the team by? Well, right. Boston needed needed to win the other night by a certain amount of points, so they started hacking the uh, hack-a-shack thing to get the points. I don't think a I really don't think point spread should ever be a determining factor when it comes to determining a tie. You know, I mean, I remember George Allen one time told me he got a lot of heat for kicking a field goal when he was up by 35 points within the last two minutes of the game. And people said, George, you're up by 35 points. Why are you kicking a field goal? Because as long as point differential is a tiebreaker, I'm going to score as many points as I can. And I think that takes away from the integrity of the game. And that's one of the things that's tiebreaking this in-season tournament. And I thought the the one thing they could have done with the in-season tournament, by the way, the Sixers have been eliminated from it, just this just in. Uh, I think they should have guaranteed the team that won the in-season tournament, they should have guaranteed them a spot in the playoffs at the end of the year. That, to me, would have been more incentive. I mean, okay, you say, how how much is $500,000 to a player that's making $500 million? You know what I mean? But, no, they still want that money. But I think they could have done a different way. I'm not in favor of the in-season tournament unless they, you know, change the rules about it. And God knows, do not, do not bring those painted Basketball floors back again. I get a I get a headache watching those colors oh. on the floor. That's terrible. Oh my god, that red, that red floor. Ooh. You know, and 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 what it does, it just makes the whole idea of the in season tournament a shtick. You know, it's yeah. just a shtick. And, and and you know, if if basketball, if you if basketball needs something like that to to give it more popularity, then basketball's in trouble. I mean, that that should never be a case. And I, uh, I'm not in favor of it, and I don't think the incentive part of the $500,000 is, to me, is, is as much an incentive if you are able to guarantee that a team that wins the in-season in tournament is guaranteed a playoff spot. And then what you do at the end, you eliminate the wild card. You eliminate the, the, in, the in-season, you know, the play-in. That play-in's a joke. You might as well, if you're going to have the in-season tournament, eliminate the play-in and just give the team that wins the in-season tournament what they would have won if they had been in the play-in. That's all. Well, Tommy, they did that a lot in football, don't forget. There was a lot of a lot of controversy there because the coaches said the same thing you're saying. In other words, we got to score more points. If we're ahead, we've got to score more points because at the end of the season, it's going to be the evaluation of points scored as opposed to the opposition. Well, they finally took that out of college football, so it's much better now. Well, Roger? Well, yeah, but it's still it's still in the pros. And what, well, I, what do you bet? What what do you bet when you bet a game? You bet the point spread, don't you? The point spread, the point spread, the point. If you know, I I can't believe that the National Football League still allows the point spread to be a determining factor in a tie in a tiebreak. That you know, it just reeks of. You know, why, why, why would a team, you know, how do you explain to a seven-year-old kid why a team is kicking a field goal when they're up by 30 points? You know, to, to kid, you're, you're trying to teach a kid sportsmanship, and yet you see a team running up a score. Why? Because 
the rules tell them they have to run up the score. And to me, that's wrong. Oh, wow. That's wrong. And listen, I'm going to take a break, fellas. Uh, Dan and I are going to get into my car, and I'll be right back. I'll be calling right back in. Okay? You got it. Well, Tommy, I agree with you 100%. I think the the rules that they've changed now, and and your observation is 100% correct. They're trying to do anything right now and to uh, induce people to not only watch on television, but to come to the arenas. I mean, they they had a terrible year last year. Their television ratings were down. Uh, They were having a very, very difficult time maintaining uh, equal uh, fan vision everywhere along around their uh, around the uh, American Conference and the National Conference. They just they couldn't they just couldn't find an equal way to make the game more interesting. And I don't think this does it. I I agree with you. I I don't think there's any interest in what they're doing now with this point spread. I mean, it's you know once you once. Online gambling. Are you talking about basketball or or football? Basketball. It's a gimmick. Oh, basketball. Yeah. It's this in in, in season tournament is all is is a gimmick. And the color of the basketball floors proves it. I mean, that's, (laughs) I I actually got a headache on the other night watching the game. The first game I ever watched with the floors painted red and billiard. I mean, right. And I, I, I just don't, you know, if you really want it, if you want to keep it in the true spirit of basketball and don't make it a money-winning thing, yeah, of course you get more money if you play in more in the playoffs, of course. But if the team that wins the end-season tournament, they get a buy. They may get a buy at the end of the year, or they get an automatic bid in the postseason. And that, to me, would be really the genuine purpose of having an end-season tournament. Well, we're going to be arguing about this up and down the line for a long time because they're going to, going to keep they're going to keep that tournament in season. They're going to keep the point spreads where it is, and uh, we'll just have to wait and see. Tommy, thank you very much for your time. You and uh, Bill Berge did a great job as a tag team match there. Yeah, he's uh, he's always been a favorite of mine, and uh, that era. Well, they brought back the uniforms this year that those guys wore back then uh, when Berge was playing and uh, Jaws was the quarterback. And Dick Vermeil was the coach. Uh, to me, uh, those guys were the, were the best. And uh, you know, they they we Tommy McDonald and I broadcast from the Superdome when the Eagles played in uh, Super Bowl 15 against the Raiders. And uh, the thing I remember about that is the Eagles were favored by 10 points, but Tommy and I are standing on the field at at the Superdome in New Orleans when both teams come out of the locker room. And Tommy says to me, look how slap-happy and, and carefree the Raiders are, and look how uptight the Eagles are. And that was a great observation because I think that's the way the Eagles played that game. They were the that's favorites, the way it turned out. And then the Raiders were playing like they were playing on house money. And uh, they never sh- the Eagles should have won that game, Super Bowl fifteen, but they didn't. And that's the reason why. And uh, – you know, the attitude of a team coming into the game and how how they approach the game makes all the difference in the world. That's why there's upsets. That's why there's upsets. Tommy, thank you very much. Always a pleasure. We're going to move uh, over to Tampa, Florida now to talk a little bit about uh, college basketball. We've talked talking college football. Now we're going to talk college football as well with Mike Schulte. He's uh, the Reliant Quest Bowl. It's in Tampa, Florida. It's on the 1st of January. 
It's a bowl that we've gone to many, many years in a row now, all of the people that are on the show. We really appreciate that. And, Mike, as you say, uh, each week is a new week for upsets, and uh, last weekend was no exception. Well, it was a, it was a rivalry weekend, remember, in, in a lot of ways. You're, you're right. I mean, it, uh, nothing right like rivalry week. And uh, it was a heck of a show. Uh, not too many upsets, but – a lot of uh, a lot of tense moments for some some of the teams that with, that are undefeated, uh, who uh, were struggling along there, and and uh, most of them escaped unscathed. But uh, it was a it was definitely a fun weekend to watch. No question about it. In Michigan, Ohio State, uh, I saw all of that game obviously as most people did, uh, but uh, it was a. I thought Michigan really controlled the game, and they deserved to win, in my case, in my opinion. Yeah, well, it seemed like they did. They they did. They definitely controlled. I think they controlled the uh, line of scrimmage uh, for the most part. Um, obviously, the the uh, the interception, the early interception in Ohio State threw in their deep in their own territory to set up that first touchdown for the Wolverines was a key, and and of course came back to to, to really hurt them at the end. Um, but, uh, yeah, they just, they seemed, uh, definitely more, more consistent and, uh, maybe a little bit more physical at times and, uh, uh, you know, obviously playing at home helped and all that. So they, they really had a lot going for them and they, they, uh, they took care of business. So, uh, congratulations to them. Are you in a position to, uh, look at the top eight? Do you follow, do you think that the top eight are in the right order? Well, you know, it, they're, they're, uh, I, I think, you know, right now you have a really interesting situation. You've got four undefeated teams, and I, I know there's uh, – uh, I think there might be another smaller college one that is, but, you know, the major colleges, you've you got four, four undefeated teams right now, and they're, and they're in the right. top four positions. And that's where it, the way it should be. And if they all win this weekend, then they should all be still in those positions. That should be your playoff. Um, but um, and then beyond that, I, I think you know you know within reason. I mean, within one one spot or two. I mean, that's you know the then you got the next the next group right behind them, and they're all pretty pretty close to, together. So I, I think right now you you know it's for the for the committee. It's a pretty been a pretty easy um, uh, job for them right now in regards to where everybody's slotted. I think what's going to be interesting this weekend though is. You've got some really, really competitive games in these conference championships, right. and uh, I, I mean, obviously, I, I know the Big Ten one. The spread is is not is a little bit different situation, but all the other ones, uh, to me, they're sort of coin flips as far as who who uh, you you expect to win. You know, there, there's not going to be any surprises, regardless of which way those games go, and uh, so that's going to be really exciting to. To, you know, going into those games to, to have uh, have you know such the expectation be that these games are all going to be very very close and can go either way. So that's uh, going to be exciting to watch. Roy Cummings was on with us obviously in the first half hour of the show, and he said he thinks the team that's maybe in the most jeopardy is Florida State because of the quarterback situation. Your thought on that? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, they're you know they're, everybody else is up there is pretty you know sort of clicking right along, and and they do have that that issue to deal with. But 
you know, I, I think on the other hand, you know, their backup quarterback has has been around for a while. Um, you know, the the game that that Jordan Travis was hurt in, I was actually at that game. Um, he was hurt early in the game, or, or I guess early second quarter, mid second quarter, and um, and so the backup uh, Rodemeyer, he was able to come in and play three quarters of that game. Uh, and then he has played, he played the Florida game, of course, last week, um, which was not, not easy, you know, on the road in a rivalry right. game and, and got through that. So you're not looking at a situation where the, you know, you got somebody, a freshman coming in who hasn't really played any at all. Um, you've got a guy who's, you know, again, now we'll have had, two weeks as the number one quarterback in practice. He's basically played two full games almost under his belt going, coming into this, the, the Louisville game. So I, I think, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if he's as good as I don't, you know, he probably, I'm sure he's not as good as right now as, as Travis, uh, Jordan Travis was, but at the same time, I, I think, uh, you know, I think he's certainly capable uh, and they got a good team, so I, I think they're very capable of winning that game. Now, you know, does that make it harder? Sure. Uh, and there's a lot on the line. Um, and I think more than anything, I think that they are they might be vulnerable more so than the other teams if they lose. You know, that they'll most likely, you know, not not be in the playoff um, if they if they lose. Um, whereas if say Alabama were to beat Georgia, there's still maybe a chance that Georgia doesn't slide out of the top four. Or, you know, and that type of thing. So it'll be uh, interesting to see, and and certainly they uh, that that's a really important game uh, for them if they want to you know have any chance of being in the playoffs. Hey, the Mike, Texas I have waiting a in the, They're uh, waiting Dad, in the I wings to, to move Mike, in. I, Mike, Don, I wanted to ask Mike a question. Okay, <laughs> uh, do you do you feel that Georgia is now starting to uh, get it all together after what we've seen the last couple of weeks, Mike? Well, I think the whole season. I, I, I think you know, uh, uh, my my son's a big Georgia fan. We followed him a long a long time, and and you know, and we he and I were talking early in the year. I mean, the the first few games of the year, they did not look like the Georgia of the past of the last couple of years at all. Um, they didn't have a good running game going. They they obviously they had some injuries, which were key at that time, and and they started you know they won games, but they started out quite a bit slower than you would expect them to be. Um, and But over the course of the, of the season, um, they've got better and better. I think the first the breakout game was probably the Kentucky game, where they really, for the first time in the season, they started put, putting all the pieces together. Um, and then they carried that on through their, you know, their, their next few weeks. They, you know, they played really well against Georgia. Um, and I mean against the Florida and that rivalry game midseason, um, and you know they've continued to to get better. So they've got you know they had Brock Bowers out for a while. They overcame that. Now he's back. So yeah, I, I think they're peaking at the right time, and they're much closer to the teams you know that we they had the last couple of years than they were early in the season or even you know at the end of say September. Um, so from that perspective, and I think likewise Alabama, um, you know, they struggled a little bit early on too. They they were trying to figure out what their quarterback situation was going to be. Um, you know, they didn't look like, you know, again what people now expect, you know, Alabama to be. You know, and yet uh, they 
they worked through it. They lost a, a game to to Texas, which a lot of people don't remember. Last year, they only beat Texas by like one point. <clears throat> last year, so you almost lost them last year. So <clears throat> Texas is a good team. So, but that they but they have, too have continued to improve. Their quarterback is is you know is, is improved. Um, and again, you know, obviously last week they struggled. You know, with with Auburn, they came close to losing that game. But every, you know, those rivalry games, you know, they, you know, sometimes you throw records out the window. Those things. I mean, they can go a lot of different ways, especially when you're playing a rivalry game on the road. So, I, I think that Alabama is is in a in a really good, you know, as as good as they have been all year, for the most part. And I think Georgia is peaking at the right time uh, for them. And so I, I just think it's going to be a heck of a, a heck of a battle. I I do know that Alabama has, um, well, they just about own Atlanta. You know, um, these these games that when they play in Atlanta, their record is in in the last four or five years is is amazing. So it'll be interesting to see. And I think uh, I expect it to be uh, as exciting. Uh, maybe not finished exactly the same way, but pro- possibly as exciting as the as the Iron Bowl was this past weekend, as far as going down to the, the very end. Last question, Mike, before we let you go. And uh, uh, you mentioned Texas. I mentioned Texas a minute ago as well. I think that's the uh, team they're most fearful of because if they win the Pac-12 championship game over the weekend and wind up with one loss, and some of these other schools wind up with one loss as well that they uh, may have beaten, uh, it'll be an interesting decision to make when they uh, judge who goes in and who goes out. Well, you know that that's the thing, though. I mean, you, you know that that's why I was saying. You know, if you could, right now you got four undefeated teams. If they all win their games, then there's no question. Nobody, there's no argument. You know, everybody else goes home with you know with their one loss, and they go on to the other bowl games. You know, where it's going to be interesting is if, like you said, it, you know, it, if Florida State were to lose, they would have one loss. They, you know, the quarterback situation may play into it, and then you sit in there and say, okay, well. You know, maybe we put maybe a move of Texas into that spot ahead of Florida State, right? Um, uh, or uh, you know, if if Alabama beat were to beat Georgia, now you got two one-loss teams, and and Alabama's the conference champion. You know, would have beaten Georgia. Do you put both of them in the playoff? Especially if again, if, if Florida State loses and then and Alabama wins, you know, do you put you know two SEC teams in, or do you put one of them in, and 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 if you're if you're going to put Alabama in, you know, you know, and you got Texas sitting there, and Texas beat Alabama, and they both got one loss. What do you do there? So I mean, yeah, there, there's a yeah, lot of week, different things. Next week, this time when we have the relaxed bowl teams, will you have them by then? I'm sorry. Will you have your teams by then? The relaxed bowl. Uh, we Next we'll week. have our teams on Sunday. Every 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 bowl is populated on Sunday, not before that. So, um, yeah. So so we'll we'll find out Sunday afternoon. We'll announce our teams, and, and everybody will will find out. And, and but it's all predicated. You know, there, it, there's a, a big uh, line of dominoes, and the dominoes all are Friday and Saturday Saturday's games. So these conference championship games. Depending on what happens with those games, will then depend on every other slot as far as every other team going to, to different bowl games. And there's a lot of ways it can fall. And like I said, these games are going to be really competitive this weekend. So, um, you know, it, it, it'll, it's all going to be predicated on who wins these games as to which way the dominoes fall and how it affects everyone else down the line. 
Well, we'll look this weekend to see, and then we'll have you on next Wednesday night to talk about the teams that you select. Thank you very much, as always. I know it'll be a great bowl. I know you'll get two great teams. And as always, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, guys. Good to be on. Take Take care, care, Mike. Have a great week. Roger, Mike Zimzak's ready to go, so go to it. Okay, Mike, uh, it is always a pleasure uh, to to talk to you. And uh, unfortunately, the Philadelphia Union uh, did not uh, fare so well. Uh, the other night and or other day, and uh, they're sort of out of it right now. Yeah, it's going to be an all-Ohio Eastern Conference Finals. Uh, the Union went out to a very, very late goal from FC Cincinnati. Um, there's some controversy as to whether the score might have been offside. Um, but it, it, and it ends a season. I think it's a little bit of a disappointment for the Union after having gotten to the MLS Cup Finals last year. Um, they were looking to get back there again, but they made some off-season moves uh, due to salary cap restraint uh, reasons, and they just never were able to fully regain the sort of form that they had last year, especially when it came to scoring. Um, they were still a really good defensive team, but they just they had a little bit more trouble scoring this year, and ultimately that was the difference. Uh, they had to go to Cincinnati, uh, who has a really great young scorer. In Brandon Vasquez, who um, made his, uh, you know, his national team debut last year, uh, and it's Cincinnati who gets the uh, the win. So it's going to be a very interesting off season for the Philadelphia Union. They've got a lot of uh, contract decisions to make, uh, not the least of which is um, Alejandro Bedoya, who, uh, the former U.S. men's national team standout. He's been there for uh, almost uh, 10 years now. Uh, his arrival really signified the change in fortune for the Union. It was kind of after he got there that they became a much improved playoff caliber team consistently in the East. Uh, Kai Wagner, the left back, uh, a lot of interest in him from Germany. Um, don't know whether he's going to stay, whether they're going to be able to get a deal done. The team's a little bit older. They were starting to have to make some decisions. So they, I think you could potentially see a much different union team take the field uh, in March of next year when the season opens. Well, Mike, that's not unusual because uh, they change personnel uh, on a regular basis in, in, uh, in MS, MS uh, soccer. And uh, so you never really know. As you mentioned during the early part of the season, uh, you know, they haven't got their full team together yet. They haven't practiced together as much as you would all like to see. So uh, that seems to be a factor in the league. It does. Um, when I th- and you see teams and they, they bring in, um, you know, one, two, three, a couple of players. Uh, I have a feeling that this one time around you could see a lot more um, wholesale changes for the Philadelphia Union. And critically, they're going to have to replace it. It looks like they're going to have to replace a number of starters, which is something that they really haven't done a lot of over the last couple of years. You know, they've had a pretty settled lineup, certainly uh, in midfield, and that's been uh, key to their success. So, you know, all teams change. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson, the great manager of Manchester United, once said, you know, when you put together a team, they normally have like a three- to five-year shelf life 
um, before you have to really just rebuild. And the uh, union are at the very would be at the very end of that window where it's kind of be time for them to look to rebuild. You know, guys moving on, especially in a league like MLS where you know the players are coming to look to go to other leagues. So you know, and uh, so. I expect that you're going to see some changes, but maybe, and even though you do see a lot, uh, I think this will be a year where you see a few more. Roger? Mike, uh, uh, getting back uh, to uh, soccer, um, the, uh, what do you think about the uh, Uni- Atlanta United uh, for their, uh, their foreseeable future. Uh, do you think it's uh, positive? I mean, you know more than anybody, any of us, about uh, uh, soccer, you know? Ultimately, I think that they're in a good position. Like, they've got good players. They had uh, two players in the MLS uh, team of the season, the first team of the season. The problem is that those guys are likely um, – going to be moving on to the uh, Tiago Amada uh, uh, especially is a really sought after young prospect. Um, Giorgio Giamacchi arrived late last season, but he was just a great goal scorer. Or he arrived later in the beginning of the season was what I was trying to say. And he was just a great goal scoring form throughout. Uh, I think that they have some real important decisions to make uh, Tiago Amada, I think, will be leaving. I think if they get a good offer for him, they should look to sell and reinvest. Um, defensively, and especially in goal, they need to make some uh, important decisions. You know, is it uh, Miles Robinson has proven that he's back from his injury. Uh, he may be looking for a chance to move on to to Europe or uh, one of the bigger to Mexico, one of the bigger leagues. Brad Guzon has been a great servant to the U.S. men's national team and especially uh, Atlanta United. I mean, he's been there since the beginning. You know, he's been a stalwart, but he's getting a little bit older, and so it might be time to consider moving on from him as well. What's the feeling in Washington as we switch to the National Football League? Uh, The Commanders, uh, is their head football coach on thin ice? Uh, I think calling the ice under Ron Rivera's feet thin is being a little bit charitable. Uh, non-existent is more like it. Um, the pretty, the feeling around in D.C. after last week when they lost to the Giants uh, at uh, at home and then really just got run over in Dallas and a nationally televised game on Thanksgiving is right. that Ron is pretty much done. I mean, you know, this is a season that they started off 2-0 and and then have lost eight of their next ten games. And the only wins have been uh, away at uh, New England and away at Atlanta. So they haven't even really done much in their home games, which – is kind of a problem, too, given that one of the big moves this year was to make uh, FedEx Field more, give them at least 
something that resembles a home field advantage. So it wasn't just, you know, opposing fans constantly taking over the stadium. Uh, we saw Ron make the move to get rid of Jack Del Rio and the uh, defensive backs coach. He said that he would be taking uh, over the uh, calling the defensive plays. And to a lot of people, it rang of he spoke to Josh Harris on Friday after the Cowboys lost, and Josh basically said either you get rid of Jack or you go. Like, somebody's got to go, and it's either him or you. And Ron made the decision to ax um, Jack Del Rio, and Jack was one of his top – it was probably – his top lieutenant, he was his, his, his consigliere. This is the guy who he brought with him. He's the senior member of the assistant coaching staff. He was the guy who was running the team when Ron was receiving cancer treatment. He's a guy that really, Ron had really stuck by uh, through thick and thin. I personally had thought that Jack would be gone two years ago, Um just because the defense never really looked like it was reaching what it should be. It never really looked consistent. There was always issues, especially early in the season, as far as what the defense did or did not do. So I was really surprised that he made it this long. And then, you know, with five games left, you give him the ax, and it just looks like a coach who's trying to save his own skin for the next five, um, five games. And I just don't think there's much there for him. Um, the record has been well below 500. They've made the playoffs his first season and snuck in as a 7-9 and team. And they, there hasn't been a winning season since. And there hasn't really been any, at any point where they were, they were in the playoff hunt and playing meaningful games in like late, mid to late December. Uh, since he got here and, you know, a new regime, he's the head of football operations. So he bears responsibility for the whole, all the players on the roster, everything like that. And to be honest, they haven't drafted well and they haven't built a solid roster and that all lands on Ron's doorstep. And I think he'll be gone as a result of it. Roger. Well, Mike, I, I know you're a big Phillies fan, and sitting next to me in my car is uh, a legend, Dan Baker, the uh, PA announcer for the Phillies for over 50 years. So you can say hi to him. But also, how about Frank Reich uh, getting let, let go, and he was, didn't even get to complete one season in the NFL. So, as they say, the NFL stands not for long. Well, not too long, and good evening, Dan. I hope you had a really good Thanksgiving. Uh, always great to be able to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, great to be with you guys. And the Phillies had another good season, although we came up a little bit short in the NLCS. I thought we were going to the back-to-back World Series for only the second time in our 141-year history. Mm-hmm. Well, we're always you know, willing to win that. Take that last step, Dan, and uh, I know <laughs> Roger is as well. We're all waiting for the. They they got there, you know. The last couple of years, they made a late season drive and and almost got to the Golden Pond, but they never quite made it. 
you're right, Don. Uh, it, it was ex- it, exciting, but, you know, that sports, you know, sometimes you think you have it and you don't. And uh, I don't think anybody thought the Phillies would make it to the World Series last year, and they did. And this year it looked like after they beat the Braves, they were the favorites to get there, and it didn't happen. No question about it. Well, we got a PGA professional on the line right now. We're going to jump to him. And, uh, Dan, always great to have you on the show with us any time. And uh, a pleasure. So let's go uh, down to Baltimore, Maryland, and, and talk to uh, Mr. Hamilton, PGA professional, Doug by a first name. And, Doug, right. a couple of things to talk to you about. Number one, 20-team yep. tournament, or not team tournament, but uh, Tiger is coming back officially. He's playing this weekend. Yes, I was aware. I saw. Um, yeah, it'll be fun to uh, to have him play a little golf again. I know that he's been in the media recently with um, just some different things that I've seen publication-wise, whether it's you know Golf Digest or you know different emails that I get that that are talking about him. Uh, so it's it's nice to to see him return for a quick tournament there. It's an unusual tournament. It's his tournament uh, to be first of all, and he also announced that he's going to play one uh, event uh, a month. And I thought mm-hmm. that was a little unusual, although he said he thinks he's in the best physical condition he's been in in quite some time. Uh, you know, an observation on when you get trouble with your legs and your feet, sometimes that's a little tough to play golf. Well, I mean, look, he is Tiger Woods, but he's been through an awful lot with his body and. I can't look back at my life in terms of injuries or anything. I've typically been pretty lucky with that, and I'm on the wrong side of 40, nearing 50 here. So um, once a month, I think, would be would be even hard at, at my age of 49. I know he's relatively close, 47, 48. So, um, right. But his body is probably older than that. And I know that the regiment that you have to put your body through to train and uh, and do all those things certainly gets harder as you get as you get a little older. Um, you know, with all the, you know, whatever metabolism and hormone and all the different changes that you start to experience. Um, you know, simple things become more difficult with with balance. Um, you know, walking that far and um, different pressures you put on your feet and your body and your ankles and your knees and all those sorts of things. So um, yeah, I mean, once a month sounds like it's uh, attainable, but we'll see. Roger. Well, I wanted to ask you uh, about uh, the uh, Ravens, your favorite NFL team. Uh, And, uh, you know, they've looked pretty good. And and I will tell you that there's a lot of uh, prognosticators uh, now Mm -hmm. that uh, think that they may make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, Is that the consensus in the Baltimore area? Um, You know, I think from the different things that I've heard, I believe that We've been down this road before. I mean, it's, I think, a one-game-at-a-time mentality, and, and I think that Coach Harbaugh has an, uh, a really good perspective of, you know, let's let's uh, let's go 1-0 and this week. Um, let's let's get some people healthy. Um, I think he has to be pleasantly surprised with um, how the offense looks and, and how dominant the defense can be. Um, you know, I think that, at least from my standpoint, um, I've always felt like Baltimore's never been a media darling. I've always felt like, you know, anytime somebody could pick against them or point something out deficiency-wise against them, they would. Um, 
you know, I think that um, that they have a very good football team, and I believe that currently as we sit here and talk on this very Wednesday evening, I think they're the best team in the AFC. Um, I think they're the most complete team Mm -hmm. offensively and defensively, special teams. Um, They've had, you know, their mini-buy. They're going to buy this week. Um, Hopefully going to get some some health and, and, you know, some guys back. Uh, So, yeah, I I look forward to watching them play football, and I think they're a really good football team with um, a a nice chance to, to make a run at this. Is their bottom half of the schedule uh, medium or harder or softer than the beginning? I think the whole daggone schedule was uh, was kind of tough, to be honest with you. I mean, um, I know the last game of the year is against Pittsburgh, but I believe they play San Francisco as well. I think they play Miami. So, you know, there's still some rough games in there for them to play. But I'm not really afraid of anybody. You know, they, the Ravens have shown that they can play some, some solid defense and, and limit um, the score. I think that they've shown that they can score um, in excess of 30 points. So, I mean – uh, they they have multiple ways I believe that they can that they can win and I I don't personally think that there is a, a a hands down favorite if you look at the NFL and say oh my God they're unbelievable you know what I mean I think there's still a lot of parity and I think that on any given week depending on what scheme you draw up and and how you put your X's and O's on that chalkboard um, the game will play itself out um, I'm not terribly afraid of anybody they play against at this point Roger. Well, I know that some of those teams like uh, San Francisco, uh, Miami, uh, we'll find out about the 49ers, I think, on Sunday when they play the Eagles. We'll find out about the Eagles, too. But, uh, you know, I talked, you know, uh, we were talking about this with Bill Berge. The the, the 49ers are 2.5 points uh, over in in the odds. Uh, for mm-hmm. the game, and that doesn't make sense because the uh, Eagles have a home game. And you get three right. points for right. uh, being the home team, you know. And sure. uh, I, I don't know. I think we're going to know whether they're really the 49ers are as good when they have to come across the country mm-hmm. and uh, and play in a hostile environment. Uh, but I, I think, to be honest with you, I think the Ravens are stronger overall than the 49ers. That's my opinion about it. Yeah, I mean, you could start, you know, looking at, at uh, how they break their – I mean, you know, Justin Tucker's um, one of the best kickers in football, and um, I think, you know, that that makes some sense uh, when you start talking about things. I think Lamar Jackson's likely a better quarterback than, than Brock Purdy, although he fits their system. Um, you know, now with Andrews gone, you got to go with Kittle as a better tight. I think the, uh, the 49ers have um, – a really good defense. Um, you know, I think I think the Ravens have the best linebacking du- uh, duo in, in, in the NFL between uh, Roquan Smith and Patrick Queen. Um, I think they get after the quarterback from a lot of different ways. Um, Keaton Mitchell, who started against uh, the Chargers, if anybody watched that game, that guy is just a little lightning in a bottle jitterbug. I mean, he can he can take the ball from anywhere on the field and score. Um, you know, I think Debo Samuel is a really good wide receiver, or Brandon Ayuk. I mean, it, it would be a nice matchup. You know, and we're looking forward to that as it presents itself on the schedule in the latter portions of the season here. So that would be a good game. I think the 49ers are going to be very, very interesting because they have a couple of players that have been nicked up a little bit, both of them being one of them. And uh, is a very positive player for them. Uh, whether he's going to get back, how quickly he's going to get back, uh, I don't know. But uh, they really miss him. He's not in the lineup. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and, you know, you see these football teams that are really good find different ways to win, uh, whether it's other players stepping up or, um, you know, giving some of the current ones a different chance to do different things in scheme. Um, you know, so it's um, it's fun to watch a lot of these NFL football games. And, you know, the, the prognosticators, as you say, with, with the point spread, somehow they know what they're doing. Um, they really do. <laughs> Roger. Yeah, well, that's right. They they think they know what they're doing, but uh, a lot of times they, uh, you know, what it's like, Mike. I mean, today, uh, Doug. <laughs> Doug, you know what? It, right. You know, it's like the weather forecasters. Okay, you know, you can be wrong half the time, and you're still looking. Hold on, fellas. We're running late. Frank tells us we got to run out of the door. Right. Thank you okay. very much, God Doug, and we'll, we'll talk about care, Doug. Doug, we'll talk about the yep. Tigers tournament next week, and we'll have a lot of action yep. there too. Yep. Tell Dan, thank you very much, Roger. We'll do it again later. Go to it. See you, Don. Please, Joe. Thanks, Dan. Thanks for being on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, these programs are brought to you each and every night of the week. In grateful appreciation to the men and women of the United States Armed Forces, the men and women Police and Fire Services. When you're out there and you see somebody in uniform, please let them know you know they're there.
Bob. We love you and we miss you.